Product Stacks is brought to you by Storyblock, one of the world's fastest growing headless CMSs. A headless CMS like Storyblock separates the back end from the front end. By moving to an API based CMS like Storyblock, you can publish your content to any front end, whether that's your marketing website or directly inside your product. Developers love Storyblock because they can use it with any front end framework they prefer and create components that can be reused anywhere as content blocks, cutting development time in half. Content teams are excited about the discussions feature built directly into Storyblock's visual editor. No more Slack or email threads to discuss content changes. Join 86,000 developers plus companies like Harvard Business School, Adidas, Netflix, Oatly, and Pizza Hut who all use Storyblock by trying a free demo at storyblock.com slash department of product. Go to storyblock.com slash department of product. That's Storyblock with a K at the end slash department of product. Joining us today, we have Mohana from EA Games, and Mohana is a senior product manager. Thanks very much for taking some time out of your day to, to chat through your product stack with us. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Yeah, I'm Mohana, I work in EA uh, for the developer platform team. So basically, my team is me, my team, and my peers are mainly focused on building tools that can be used within the games. So any chat feature or any virtual economy that you see within any of the EA games that our team is kind of our team has hands on that. So I've been, I've been a PM for almost uh, five years now with different kinds of experience in different industries, but mainly I've been on B2B teams and this is where, yeah, and, and this is also a team like where it's more B2B focused, like where we work with studios, game studios that, that build games and try to build and try to provide them features and platform to like uh, to develop their own games and what what kind of features are you are you building at EA games like how does it fit into a, what would be a typical feature that you may have recently shipped oh uh, one thing that we might have seen with uh, some of the launches with EA, like we have a lot of multiplayer experiences yeah so with, within EA like there are like things like chat there are things like able to find friends okay. on like find friends to play multiplayer games with so a lot of these features that you see are built by our teams like where we where we shipped out an op option for uh, newer games to find people in different parts of the uh, world and find someone who is available and someone who can play a game with and also an option of like where you can only play with your friends or like play with the people that you want to have certain kind of level or certain kind of uh, expertise in the games. So yeah. those are all the different kinds of features that you see within the games that are built by uh, our oh, team. Nice. So like a, the social elements of, of gaming is your responsibility. Yeah. And how does it compare to other product roles that you've had in the past that are perhaps not in gaming? Yeah, I was, this is very different. Uh, area for me. I was previously working mostly in ads. So my right. most of my experience has been like building ads and working with uh, like B2B business areas to try to optimize for ads, measure ads, and also build recommendation systems, identify the different varieties and the like the different kinds of ads that are coming in in the market yeah it was it was a little bit different in terms of all the both of them are a b2b products it's a little uh, a little bit different in terms of like the scale and yeah. the level of depth that you need to understand between an ad product and a gaming product yeah i guess because gaming is is more i guess ads are still 
B2C in some ways, they're still a consumer product because the end consumer is a user. But I guess moving in from a, from moving into something like gaming, it's such a consumer-based product. It's very, very different, I imagine. Okay, perfect. So before we delve into your product side, what we've been asking people to do is to give us a bit more uh, of a context of, as to like how their overall product process works. If you could just talk us through three key areas that we're asking folks to, to share with us and... The three main areas that we're interested in are roadmaps and strategy. So how do you develop your roadmap and strategy just at a high level? And then secondly, what does a typical team look like? What does your team look like? And why does it look like that? And then finally, what is a what does your software development process look like in your team as well? Uh, so they are the three main areas. And perhaps if we can start with your roadmap and strategy, if you could just give us a flavor of how you develop, how you decide what goes on your roadmap and how you make strategic decisions at, uh, at at your role in EA Games? Of course, yeah. Uh, so in in EA and also in the places that I worked before, so the vision and mission are something that is like the four most important one, like very long, uh, very far forward looking. And we all, where we spend most of the time on, like at least like when I'm onboarding into a team or when I'm looking at the team, like I always want to make sure that the vision and mission are relevant and are also still relevant in the context of the company and also in the terms of the market. Like I, I can give an example, like where in my previous role, like when I was working for a team, when, when I was, I have a vision and mission, but it kind of, uh, COVID hit at that time. And like, is a vision still makes sense because like you are in art tech, like does it, like does ads make sense in terms of the like having the same kind of vision of like showing the ads in an appropriate way like that makes sense like some part of it does and some part of it doesn't so uh you need to be very mindful of like what where you are in the context of like uh economy in context of the company so it's very crucial to understand like the company strategy and vision and that is the that is where the top-down part comes in terms of setting up the vision and mission for the team and most of the thing as a, as a product manager and that's a part that i enjoy is like it's a it's a way where you can define the vision and mission like by going through like going through what's happening in terms of like the competitors and also what's happening in terms of the product gaps in the market and think, thinking through that and like coming up with a vision uh which and selling that vision and that's an another part but that is more important because vision is not like a one-time setup like it's also needs a lot of buy-in and selling with your teams yeah and also with your peers like if you can't achieve a vision and mission if you don't have the buy-in from your other team members or other pms in your organization and that's where like like even at ea like that's where like we spend most of my time like like setting up that vision and communicating that vision and buying by getting buy-in for that vision is the one of the most important things i see as a pm uh in any era yeah and next is more about like how do we get there like how do we get to that vision like where are we going to invest and understanding that strategy of like what which products are you going to invest in like which problem areas are you going to invest in i think that's where the strategy comes in and I think this is where it gets a little bit more top down in terms of like there might be more urgent needs in terms of for leadership like to work on something 
let's say uh, let's say for example like there's a fifa game that's getting launched and you need to you need to be mindful that this is something the company needs there's an immediate yeah. need for it so do are the investments how should we bucket our investments should we focus more on it now or on it later so this is kind of like where you need to use your judgment and also use your persuasion skills to get work with your leadership and try to find the uh, right balance in terms of achieving your long-term mission but at least and again solving the near-term problems for the customers and in so, terms of like timelines and roadmaps to, when you're working in the gaming industry are you somewhat tied to the release timelines of games so would a game potentially be you know delayed because they they were dependent on you having built some functionality that they really need as part of that game or are the two things quite decoupled there is definitely a dependence like yeah. like especially the things that you are that you factored in like for the game launch like let's say you you said like it in like in let's take and go to back go back to the example of fifa like you said like in new fifa that we are going to launch this like it's important that we should deliver it to the most like what we promised but there is also uh cases like where like let's say performance improvement like you want to make fifa faster things like that like those kind of things are still a little bit yeah you, you have a little bit of leeway in terms of like the timelines and you can adjust based on uh based on your other priorities perfect okay awesome and then if we move on to a your team setup mm-hmm. what does a what does a typical team look like for you i think in um, some of the main like obviously it's engineers there are like a lot of engineers in the team like at least one is to four ratio, I would say, uh, for a PM. And we also have UX designers. So there'll be a UX designer who will be working with you. There are situations like where I work with multiple UX designers because I'm uh, uh, like running multiple improvements on the, or like releasing multiple features at the same time. Um, yeah. So like generally having one UX designer for one stream of work really helps because they have like a very long-term vision of like how does the ux should look like and how how the experience should look like for customers and obviously you have partners in terms of engineering managers and uh like there are also data scientists that help us with gathering data there are like we also have like the uh, in a way the titles are different but i like it's like a product marketing manager kind of roles like where they help you with launching of the features like how to get it how to get the feature to your customers like whether it could be a studio or whether it could be a i don't know like an if it's an internal team that wants to use this feature to like need to have like a someone who goes and advocates for your product internally and also externally yeah so that's the typical team setup and do you do you split out the role of product managers you know some some companies will have a more kind of a product management role and then a product owner role and then a project manager role potentially is there any, I know you mentioned the product marketing manager who does that, but is there any, sometimes some companies will will split that out into kind of the, the PM role, which is more strategic, and then a project manager role or a product owner role, which is more to do with like the day-to-day uh, task management. Do you guys do any split like that? Yeah, glad that you brought it up. I think I completely forgot about it. Like okay. we do have a program manager. Program mm-hmm. manager though. Yeah, like I partner with, along with the engineering manager on the delivery. Like they are like, I think your engineering manager, your program manager, are like uh, your real assets to have, like they help you a lot, like in delivering the vision and mission for the team. Perfect. So this is this is what a, t- a typical team like looks like uh, for you, is it? Yep. And how many engineers do you have? Is it, is it, was it four that you mentioned, or? 
Yeah, currently I'm in a in a different uh, situation, but right now I have like one to eight like this. Okay. Like, yeah, it's a it's a big team. Like we a big team. work on a lot of different things. <laughs> How do you find that when? Because sometimes I've worked with you know when I've worked with an engineering team, sometimes that can make things actually less productive. What is you know what is your ideal ratio? Do you say what is your ideal number in terms of engineers in your personal experience? Uh, I would be honest. Like I have a, a little bit of a different perspective on that. Like I like I'm a person like who wants more things to be done, more products to be delivered. So yeah. I I keep going. I I actually enjoy working with more engineers, although it takes a lot of time. Uh, but it, it also depends on the problem area. Like like in in my case, like there are like at least four or five work streams that where it can be worked independently without any need without any dependency on each other. But in the past, I've seen like where one engineer kind of needs if working on it, like someone else has to step on their work and as a former engineer I, I had a background as an engineer too like yeah. i don't like that so so it, it is it depends a lot on the product area itself in my product area like since it's a bigger product and also it needs a lot of different work streams i i really think this is a good ratio and then finally what is your software development process how does this how does this work so we do two experience so every so every quarter we kind of assess a little bit around our goal, like set up our goals, and then we go. We do the backlog grooming, like at the beginning of the beginning of that. But it's more about it's more iterative process. Like every two weeks, like we go to the backlog and see like what's important and uh, the assistant planning. We have excellent program and engineering leads who help me with that. So that that's generally two weeks of uh, Scrum. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And what is your favorite way to work? In uh, in that's a good question. In fact, I have experimented with different different processes, like where like setting up like backlog very detailedly planned uh, beforehand. I see that that is a way that works sometimes if you are working on a technical project, especially let's yeah. say that we are working something on improving like the speed or like or making like releasing some SDKs or releasing APIs things like that. I think it it really helps there like to keep the team focused on that like if you really know what your long-term goal is but, but like if you are getting a lot of change or churn or from the i don't i don't, I don't know like let's say a lot of change from management or like a lot of change in terms of customer features or like bugs and things like that so i think having a two-week sprint really makes you adapt to that faster change and learn from it Perfect. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting one, isn't it? Like some people, I think the good thing about Scrum is that it's it's also it allows you to change every two weeks if you need to, but it's also quite predictable as well for for more senior execs. That you know you get something at the end of of a, of a sprint. We were we were looking at something called Shape Up, which is a methodology that some product teams use. So we sent out a survey quite recently, and Shape Up was something that came up quite a bit. Like the most common was two week sprints in Scrum, um, mm-hmm. but there was yeah there's about 10 percent of people said they use they use shape up which is basically is this this method i don't know if you know about it but I, I didn't know too much about it but it's it's invented by the guys at base camp and then you work in like six week sprints so yeah. rather than two week sprints so I, i've never had any i personally haven't had any experience of that but it sounds like quite an interesting methodology as well like extend but i i I'd imagine that, you know, like sometimes in a two-week sprint, the work all gets left till the last week. Um, yeah. 
I would imagine in a six-week uh, pro process that just gets magnified even more. So I don't, I don't know uh, how productive that makes people, but in interesting one. So yeah, so with so thanks, thanks very much for giving us a bit of a bit of background as to your overall process. Shall we, shall we move on to your product stack now? Yeah, definitely. So at EA, I think at EA, like one of the main things that we rely a lot on communication is through one pages. Yeah. So everything, every communication that we try to have with our peers or with the, with our engineering team we try to be as concise as possible and also keep it written a page the the main reason for that is like we want to get as much feedback as possible i think once the docs get bigger and bigger we don't see a lot of people reading it and also maybe going to the first page and not glancing through that and never coming back or never getting the real feedback on it so especially for uh, communication that needs feedback, like let's say the setting up a vision or like what is a strategy or like any kind of uh, things that we want to have where we want to get solicit feedback, like uh, we rely a lot on one pages. And for anything that we want to communicate with the engineering team in terms of like PR, in terms of like new products and stuff like that, we rely on product relay PRDs, uh, product requirements document. So a lot of work like for me like especially after the in after the planning phase or in the middle of the in the middle of the quarters or in the middle of the sprints is spending uh, writing prds so that is like we don't have any limit on like how big the prd should be but we also want to keep it shorter so that the engineering team tries to understand like what's the most important thing we need to do and also try to at the same time, like make sure that we cover all the edge cases. So it's about like more around concise communication and as as much information as possible, which is like opposite goals, but try to balance that. Perfect. Yeah, we've had a we've had a, a couple of different people just mention, you know, PRDs and uh, FAQs and things like that on a one page document. And so it's it's yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that as well. As you can see, like uh, we use Miro a lot. We find it a very good collaboration tool, like if, like in terms of the tools that we use within the company, Yeah. especially for whiteboarding or any kind of creating uh, rough mockups like that we want to communicate. It's it's a very nice tool that we find. So yeah, I just want to go through one of the frameworks that we use for product discovery. And this is like what we want to have within a PRD. So I I know like like one of the like after you set your strategy and after you set your product areas, like one the the one major thing like where you as a product manager work is like discovering like what features to build and what products to go after. And one of the main things that we want when we look at is who are the customers that we are targeting, especially in the gaming world, there are like so many different kinds of games. Uh, they can be single player, multiplayer, like like they can be games that reach millions of people. There are games that are more like mobile and like are a little bit smaller, that target smaller set of people. And there are games that go on iterating like FIFA that start with one and then they, they have a second version of it, third version of it, things like that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. understanding like who your customers are, like is the main important part of the discovery and like understanding what the problem that they're having and is that like <clears throat> sorry to interrupt is it yep. so <clears throat> that i'm guessing like i don't know too much about the different types of games that ea has but i'm guessing that it, that change is quite could change quite dramatically depending on the on the genre of the game so as someone who plays fifa 
isn't the same as someone who plays I don't know a different Sonic the Hedgehog. I don't know whatever. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know yeah. what the games EA has. But so do, as a as a PM, do you then have to consider the the audience of the the specific game, or are you thinking more broadly at an EA level? How do, how does that work? It is like it's also important. Like for example, the obvious segmentation, like the the one that you talked about, like someone who plays FIFA and someone who plays like something like let's say Madden or Mario. some other yeah. yeah Mario might be completely different and and like the obvious segmentations might work but it also we also need to this is where like you as a product manager has to go deeper and understand from the user research and the and your quantity data like what is something that's what is something that they all have in common like right let's say let's say for example like uh, if you're targeting you, you someone who plays fifa and someone who plays mario and what do they both have in common they both probably uh, want to like buy something like they want to buy an additional packs on top of let's say mario like they want to buy a, some mario pack on top of it fifa they want to pack buy something fifa yeah. on top of like let's say a trophy or something like that so understanding that kind of uh, segmentation needs like a lot of digging deeper into your data and that's where like talking to your customers like conducting customer research and also having a good like having a good sql skills help you because then you don't have to depend a lot on your data scientist and you can keep trying different stuff uh, and that's something that i feel very handy uh, especially when you are trying to dig through the data and that is uh, that is where the difference you can make like i feel as a pm like instead of instead of understanding data on the top level like going deeper and understanding the customers and understanding the problems uh, that's where the most of the time i, I spend in and that's where I get most of the value and where I discover newer, newer products and features. Perfect. And how do you do user research in your role? Um, there are a couple of ways. Like one, as I said, like there are like product marketing managers in my team. Like I try to use yeah. them and uh, reach out to the customers and like try to set up interviews with them. There are also like secondhand information you can get it. Like for example, uh, sometimes like when uh, studios or anyone is using uh, uh, features they might be sharing that feedback with the like the product marketing manager so interviewing them them themselves like it's also a good source of feedback and like you will give you like a 360 overview of like what the customer is thinking so it's, it's it's a lot about like talking to them like also being a little bit intentional about like what you want to get out of them like i this is something that i learned over the time like in initially i would just go into the meeting and talk and like try to understand stuff but but or, or like so i think taking a step back and understanding like what questions are you need to get answered and what are some things that what are some things that you have a more deeper questions around like trying them uh like writing them down beforehand and like making the conversation going towards the direction i think that's all like with doing and like with uh, practice that comes to you but i think that's yeah. the main thing like getting trying to get the, as much information as possible do you have a, a dedicated user researcher role or or not not in my current team so in my current team i i go and do, do the research but yeah there are some parts of the teams that do have support okay yeah perfect okay cool should we should we go back to your back to your doc Sure. Yeah. So these are the three things that we try to have in a product discovery document, like any new feature, like 
making sure that we have complete understanding of the customers, the problem, and what do we expect to change? And this is like, I, some people call it. Could you zoom in a little bit, sorry. It... Yeah, sorry. Perfect. Thanks. So, yeah. So this is something that we, some people call it like what benefits do we expect from the customers or like to the company, to to you or to the customers themselves. So like having that all captured in and having that like, like why do you think that it's going to happen? Like let's say that you are building a chat feature, like why is chat important? Like what problem are you solving for the customers and what do you expect to change? Like do you expect customers to play more games or like to expect them to like probably buy more of your games like or like increase revenue for your company like understanding all that aspects of like why this problem is important and how you're going to solve like what benefits you expect by solving this problem i think that that's also very crucial in after after understanding the problem and the customers yeah, so it's this quite is a nice way to frame it isn't it gets you yeah. to think about the potential future state and it acts as a good filter to be able to understand whether this is actually worth solving or not. Yeah. And whether it aligns with your strategy too, like whether you, as yeah. a company, are you, is it something that you're going after? And that's, that's important too, like have that perspective. Perfect. This is something that we generally do in the discovery process, but when it comes to also like like the existing features on feature releases, something that we also do is around hypothesis testing. So this is depends a lot on how you like different ways you can test, but it's always something in, in my team that we always encourage, like what is the hypothesis that you have right now? Like, uh, is this something that something backed by the data or something backed by qualitative data and how and how can you test that whether this hypothesis is right or not so one example i can give is like by let's say that adding a chat feature like one benefit that we are promising is more people will play multiplayer games how how do you know that like is that it's it's probably something like you back by the qualitative data but it like how does that play in the real world with all the market conditions and everything in hand because you probably might be missing or you might be missing some data points or your customer is not behaving as they said like so how do you get to how how do you get to test that like that is where like where we use hypothesis testing there are like several different methodologies that we use a b testing is one popular one yeah. and there's also sometimes that we use blackout kind of testing like where we where we kind of expose the feature to people to expose the feature for some time and blackout that and see like what what how was the effect on it like is the effect is effect like more uh, is there any effect like are, are they feeling any effect of removing that feature or are they uh, or is there is there no effect on the customer sensors so that is and we want and we spend a lot of time in learning that like defining those metrics and learning from those metrics because these learnings are generally also going to your another hypothesis and it keeps on get, getting into that loop like where the like where you learn more and more about your customers while still delivering good products and where 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 do these hypotheses typically come from so you know you mentioned the example of okay well maybe 
I think adding chat features is going to increase the, the number of multiplayer games or whatever. Mm -hmm. So let's just, you know, where would something like that come from? And how do you go about prioritizing all the different ideas that everyone has? Because we, we all know that PMs are inundated with all these different ideas. Do you have a specific way of kind of thinking, okay, well, you know, we've got all these hypotheses, uh, which have been generated by team members, let's say, and then how do you then decide which of those is worth pursuing? Definitely. I think one major thing about a hypothesis is like, again, thinking in terms of like, what's the problem and who are the customers? Like, in a way, like, for example, if the chat feature is going to solve the multiplayer work, like, who are the customers for that? Like, how, like, which segments of customers are we targeting in the hypothesis? And how are we backing up that this is going to help? Like, do we have any, I don't know, like, and like any quotes from customers that says this? Or is this something like we saw? And as like from a competitor, like there could be several different ways that you can generate hypothesis. Like it yeah. doesn't have to be, uh, it can be your instinct also. Like, Hey, I think this is, if you do this, this might work. Like, yeah, it, yeah. and it's completely fine, but as Where long do as like, from? do they come from your team members or do they come from your gut instinct or is it a blend of everything? I would say blend of everything. Yeah. Uh, we, we try to have a backup, like, like saying that like this there is some supporting evidence because sometimes changing the color from blue to red might change this. If it might not be a, a very good hypothesis, unless, I mean, I'm not a designer, but maybe if, that, if there's a designer that, who says that this is like changing from blue to red kind of increase your conversion or increase your usage, like it could be a, something that we can trust because they, they are probably more aware of this design, uh, like color colors and everything around that. Yeah. But I I once worked at an e-commerce business and the, uh, the guy in charge of like AB testing just decided to run, run the most ridiculous like experiments where he like basically took the design and like changed loads of the elements without telling the designers. And like they, it looked really, really ugly, but conversion yeah. like shot through the roof and the designers were really, really annoyed that he hadn't consulted <laughs> with them. And then we were all in, as the PA, the product team were kind of in a weird position because we were like, Oh shit like the conversion's gone up but it looks yeah. absolutely hideous so it's it's a it's a funny one isn't it like things when you hypotheses around changing designs it's a quite a sensitive area i think yeah and you should have a i should have a learning for the hypothesis like i, I think that is one crucial thing that we emphasize in the team like hypothesis itself is not a, like okay if it goes wrong like what are we learning from it and if you have, if it goes right like what are we learning from it because it, at the end of the day this is an experiment and it should teach us something that we can use for the future products so so yeah uh, to answer your first question that like it's a blend of everything like uh, we get hypothesis from like the team members and from gut instincts and for prioritization generally we look at like who like the, even for the hypothesis like who are the customers like how is like how much effect do we expect to have like for example like changing from blue to red like if we expect to have 100 percent conversion increase and that's backed by some sort of data like we would prioritize based on the impact like how much big impact is going to be and do you use any specific tools for either your uh, discovery process or for your test or your experimentation process do you use things like feature flagging or other, do you have any in-house tools or any third-party tools that you use as part of this process for for the hypothesis testing we have in-house tools we build in uh, for yeah. a b testing and other kinds of testing so we use uh, experimentation that we have within ea okay for product discovery process like i, I would 
generally rely on Google Docs a lot. Like I spent a lot of time writing, going through iterations and like finding a like your manager or like so your peer and like iterating through it like and let them poke holes through my logic like why why is this like if this problem if this is the right problem and if the right logic and everything around that yeah okay perfect was there any other aspect of your product stack you wanted to share or was that was that it yeah we also like use uh figma and tableau within our team okay. so figma is mainly we try to do like quick prototypes especially like if i'm working with a designer and whether we are brainstorming on something like it's a very good tool to give feedback and get feedback on so that's something that we spend some time on and tableau to do any quick analysis of and also keep keeping track of metrics yeah. uh, we we really emphasize a lot on having a good north star and primary metrics in the team so any new feature or any product that we are building it, it, we want to make sure that we have a right North Star and primary metrics so that we can keep track of them in Tableau. You said you got North Star. What was the second metric you mentioned? Uh, primary metrics. Primary metrics. Okay, cool. And we've spoken to a few people now, and, and some people have said that actually there's an expectation that PMs have at least some basic knowledge of SQL. And then some PMs are not. They just, they, you know, they'll just use uh, a user interface to get the data and they'll get the data scientists to do anything more complex. In your role, are you expected to, to have knowledge of SQL and pull your own queries or not? No, uh, there's no expectation in my role to have that. Yeah. Although I would say it's very handy to have that because yeah, you need to find time in your calendar for your data scientist or your analyst. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's good to have. And how technical are, are PMs expected to be more generally at uh, at EA? Is there an expectation that you, you mentioned you came from a, a software engineering background, but is that is that an expectation that you, you should you should have as a prerequisite or not? I think no, but because a lot of the PMs that I work with, I, I'm just trying to remember, like, I don't remember anyone other than me having software engineering background. Yeah. So it's it's not an expectation to have a software engineering background uh, in here. Yeah, okay, perfect. Yeah, because PMs typically come from all kinds of different backgrounds, like, you know, like marketing, sometimes sales, business or whatever. But then some companies will, I think, I don't know, I'm not sure if Google still has that, but some companies still have the prerequisite, don't they, where you, you should have, uh, they, 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 they demand that you have a software engineering background. Yeah, I think I think it depends on like which product area also maybe sometimes, like if you're working on very developer-focused product area, maybe it might help you. Like it's like, yeah, I, I, I don't have any strong opinions on that too, like because even you can learn anything on the job and still solve for it, like treat developers as a user and solve for them. But yeah, but it helps. What do I prefer? Yeah, do you prefer a software engineer or a product manager? Oh, uh, I definitely prefer product manager. Uh, yeah, I, I love my job, like it, especially getting to understand customers and learning about them, everything, like every day something new about them really is fun for me. Yeah, okay, perfect. Okay, awesome. And is, are there any other parts of your product stack that you wanted to, wanted to share with us? Or even outside of your product stack, are there any other tools that you use on a day-to-day -day basis that you think, you know what, it's essential. If I, you know, I could never live without that. So some people have said they couldn't live without pen and paper, for example. Some people have said that they use Jira for their personal lives. Some people have said there's, you know, there's lots of tools that they couldn't live without. Are there anything else, apart from the stuff we mentioned, is there anything else that you feel like, you, you know, you really couldn't live without that are worth, that's worth sharing? Yeah, uh, for me, yeah, definitely. I also would add pen and paper. I actually doodle a lot 
with okay. pen and paper and one thing that i think like in a like especially like as a pm thinking of like a lot of the concepts that you have are generally not linear or like they are they they require a lot of complex relationships between different things and it's i i feel like it's better to first so at least my style is to first have it doodle it like what does different things are like how they relate to each other making sure like build some mind map around that and then go and write write about it if i want to communicate it or yeah. if it's something like where i want to just share with my team members like i just take a picture of it and share with them like this uh -huh. is what i'm thinking about yeah yeah okay that's good because these like like miro and figma they're they're brilliant tools but they're just still not quite the same as like whiteboarding i always I always love whiteboarding it's, but yeah I, I guess but i could never really get back into like notepadding and just for pro like some people use it for to-do lists but i just don't i just don't find it productive but I guess for things like concepts and for wireframing and that kind of stuff, it's, it's very helpful. So yeah. yeah, perfect. Anything else that you'd like to like to share? Uh, I think, yeah, I, I would say most of the stuff like what I talked about, like around like product discovery and hypothesis and everything, I think we, we spend a lot of time on metrics too. Like, I think I haven't talked a lot about it, but I would just say like that, Metrics are also one of the most important things. Yep. Okay. Perfect. And if people want to follow you online, can they? Are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Twitter? Are you anywhere else? Yeah, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I can share my LinkedIn profile with you. And then I'm not that active on Twitter, but I'm on Twitter too. Perfect. Well, uh, yeah. Thanks very much for for spending some time with us today and for sharing your product stack with us. It's been uh, it's been really really helpful. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot, Richard, for having me.